God, for the people of God, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears this morning, that we may receive your truth and have it fill up our hearts and our lives so that we may live in response to it. Lord, all this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, we've been on this uh, series about living Jesus' parables. And the thing that I said at the very beginning of this, oh, so many months ago, was that I believe that most of Jesus' parables aren't primarily about giving us a nice little moral lesson that you can take with you and then you just do those things, but that most of Jesus' parables are about telling us first who Jesus is and what he's doing. And then when we know who Jesus is and what he's about, then maybe we find out what it means to live in response to who he is. And I think maybe nowhere is that more true than with this parable. Because the way that we have often heard the parable of the talents, I'm sure I've said this at some point and I've heard this sermon a lot, is that the parable of the talents tells us what we do with the resources that God has given us, and then we expect a judgment based on how we've used those resources. That's how it usually gets told. But I don't actually think having studied this and, and prayed through it and thought about it, I don't actually think that this is what, or that is what this story is about. I don't think Jesus has just told his followers a story to tell them to be good stewards of their resources. Uh, Jesus usually has a much more provocative message than that. I think that this is a story that is about the judgment that Jesus is saying is coming upon his people, upon Israel, on those who are in his audience, who are hearing him speak. And it's a judgment that we see most importantly in the cross. And it'll take a, a bit to get there, but I want to kind of go through it. Because the way that we've told this story, I think, doesn't really work. One way that we've told it is to say, you know, this is about how you should use your money. You want to be like the first two guys and not the last guy. So invest and take care of your resources, and God will bless that, and you will get more and more and more, and you'll get richer and richer and richer. That's one way you might have heard that preached, uh, maybe by a television preacher. Um, the other way that we've told this is to say, okay, well, it's not, not literally money. It's more of a metaphor. It's a metaphor for uh, your natural abilities, and we call those your talents. And in fact, the English word talent comes from this story. Uh, it's originally a unit of money, but we say, okay, what that must really mean is those aspects of our personality, our gifts and graces is sometimes the Christian, Christian language for it, uh, and how we use those. And of course, I think it's very important that we do the best that we can with what God has given us. There's lots of theological reasons that we would want to say that. Of course, that's something we should do. And the other thing that people so often say about this parable is that it's about what happens when Jesus comes again. And that this is a story that uh, is telling us what God's final judgment will be like. And that's not a bad interpretation, but I think there's something a little bit more going on than just that. You know, the trouble with those interpretations, the trouble with telling the story in that way is twofold. One, it doesn't really match with what else is going on 
right around this story in Matthew's Gospel. This is a story that Jesus tells on his way to his death. It's one of the last stories that he will tell before he dies. And so the most natural connection that we might make with the story that we see in Matthew is to say that this must be about what is about to happen to Jesus. And I think it is. And the other problem is theological. Because the way that we've often told this parable acts as if we can earn God's favor by doing all the right things. It acts as if we can earn God's love by uh, investing properly, be that financially or morally or spiritually. I don't think that's what the story is about. So first, the, the economic or the financial way that we've read this. Um, you know, that doesn't really work. The story that's just before this one in the gospel is a story about uh, ten virgins, and five of them have prepared the lamps that they need to meet the bridegroom who's coming, and five of them haven't. But no one goes back and reads that story and says, okay, well, this is about oil, uh, you know, lamp oil management. No one says that. In the same way, we probably shouldn't read this and say, okay, well, this is just a story about the money. Plus, the story that Jesus tells, it deals in extreme exaggerations. A talent is about 15 years worth of wages for your everyday laborer. So the money that the master gives to the first man is about 80 years worth of earnings. More than most people would possibly hope to earn in their working life. The second man receives about 30 years worth of wages. And remember, this is a day when people didn't live all that long. This is still a huge sum of money, more than he might earn in his whole life. And even the last man receives 15 years worth of a salary. This is a huge amount of money, huge amount of money that these folks are getting. And so when we hear this big exaggeration, Jesus tells a story with this extreme, extreme gift. Our mind shouldn't be on, okay, well, this must be about sort of financial management. It's already pointing us in the direction of this is a story about, this must be representing something because this is really a, uh, it's extreme. It's a huge exaggeration. This isn't just your everyday sort of financial advice. Jesus isn't turning sort of Dave Ramsey on us. And Dave Ramsey has some good advice that people should probably listen to. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about here. So maybe you might say, okay, well, it's not about the money, but it's about sort of the, the metaphor here for our natural talents and abilities. And of course, um, we should do the best that we can with what we have been given. Um, but the problem with taking the story as saying that we're judged based off of how well we use what God has given us is that it makes this a story about earning God's favor. And if we've looked all through the New Testament and all through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be much about earning God's favor. He seems to say that God comes to those who are in desperate need. God comes to those who are sinners. God comes to those who are poor. And he tells his disciples not to store up for themselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. It doesn't seem to be about accumulating enough resources, financial resources, or moral resources so that God will look with favor upon you. 
And if we take this as a story about, okay, you need to do all the right things and then God will look favorably upon you, one of two things is going to happen to you. If you take it that way, you might simply turn to despair because you might realize that um, you know that you haven't done everything that you could. You know that you haven't lived a perfectly moral life. You know that you haven't always done your best. And that's true for me too. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we take this story and we say, all right, well, I need to just do my best all the time, pretty soon we'll realize that we just don't. We don't do our best all the time. And that we don't um, act like the first two servants in this story. Much more often we're like the third servant. So I don't want you to come away from, the, from this parable thinking, well, I just need to do enough and then, then God will love me. Because if you do that, you're going to despair because no one can do enough to be perfect for God. Life doesn't work that way. Uh, human beings, that's not how we live. Then you could go the other way, though. Maybe some people might read this and we, we say, all right, you know, uh, I'm pretty good. You know what? I think I am like the first two guys in this story. I've been given a lot and I've done a lot with it. And we start to think that maybe, just maybe, uh, God owes us something. And that's trouble, too. Because if we read this parable and we start to think that we have used our talents we have used what God has given us and that we can be sure that God is going to give us what we're due, then I think we've gone down the wrong track because we've started to completely ignore grace, to completely ignore, ignore God giving us anything through his son and started to think that we've earned God's favor. This isn't a story about earning something from God or God owing you something. It's a story about how God treats his people. And then the final way that we've read this, and I think this one might be the hardest pill to swallow, but often we've read this as a story about what happens when Jesus comes again. But there's a problem with that reading. And that's that in Matthew 24, in this same long speech, the same long lesson, Jesus says that all of the things that he's talking about are going to come to pass within the generation. That people who are standing there won't die until this has happened. So this story can't, it might tell us lessons about how to prepare for the second coming. But Jesus is saying that all of this is going to happen in the lifetime of the people who are hearing it standing there right before him. So this isn't a story about the second judgment. It's a story about the judgment that's about to happen. You see, Jesus is throughout Matthew, um, telling the people of Israel that God has come among them and is bringing his judgment. And the way he's bringing that judgment is Jesus himself. And he is, in a sense, saying, you know, God has given you, his people, all of these resources. He's given you the law. He's given you the Old Testament. He's given you a temple where you might go and worship him and know that he's there with you. But yet... So often, you didn't live up. You didn't live up. But now God has come. Now God has come, and he's going to, uh, he's going to identify where uh, faithfulness has happened and where unfaithfulness has happened. He's going to say to the scribes and Pharisees, uh, Woe unto you, you're hypocrites. You said you should live this way, but in fact, you're living 
in another. And he's saying to his people, to Israel, that God's judgment has come to you. And that that judgment is happening right there with God's very presence in Jesus. But here's the thing about God's judgment. Here's the thing. We hear that phrase and we get worried and we get scared. And uh, we hear this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we say, uh, well, I don't want to be in that category. What is God going to do with us? This story, Jesus is saying, God's judgment has come. And you see what that judgment looks like in the few chapters that follow this one. This is almost at the end. And in 26, 27, right after this, Jesus himself will take that judgment upon himself. God's wrath, the weeping and gnashing of teeth that we talk about, where do we see that? We see that on the cross itself. Jesus weeps in the garden before he goes to the cross, and then he suffers more than we might uh, ever imagine on his own. The punishment that was coming, the punishment that the unfaithful servant deserved, who's the one who winds up bearing it? The one who takes that punishment is the master himself. It's Jesus who takes on the punishment that uh, was due to Israel and that's due to the whole world so that in response, they might have new life. This isn't a story about earning God's love. This is a story that uh, tells about God's love coming to his people in God himself in the flesh. Hey. If you want to know, so, so then, you know, I said that this, this isn't a parable about the second coming, and it's not. It's a parable about what Jesus is doing there. But because of what Jesus' judgment looks like in Matthew, then we can learn what it will look like when God's judgment comes in the end. So in a sense, this maybe is a story about the second coming. Do you want to know what God's judgment looks like? Well, it doesn't look like an army coming and taking over the world. If you want to know what God's judgment looks like, it doesn't look like a lightning bolt coming and zapping people. What God's judgment looks like is God himself becoming a human being and taking that punishment on himself so that the world might have life. The world might have life. This is a story about God coming to set things right. You know, we've been doing this series um, mainly up at Mount Olive where, you know, people can submit their, uh, their questions on a little index card and then I'll answer the questions after studying on them for a week or so. We're going to do a similar version of that here on the sort of the south side of the county so that people who live down here can have access to it as well. But one of the uh, questions that I have been asked is, why does God let bad things happen? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why, does, why do bad things happen? And I don't think that Christianity gives us the exact lined out, you know, point by point reason why every bad thing has happened. But what it does tell us is that for those who suffer, God is with them. And we know that because God has suffered himself. For those who are down and out, God is with them because he has been there too. For those who are in sickness and in pain, who face death, 
that you can be confident that God is with you because God himself has faced that as well. This is a story that points us toward the cross. Because it points us toward the cross, it tells us that God's love comes to us not by anything we can do to earn it, but because God has given it to us when we didn't earn it and when we didn't deserve it. That's what this story is telling us. And because God has loved us, because God has called us to be his people, then, yes, absolutely, it's important that we be good stewards. It's important that we use what he's given us in terms of our talents and our abilities. But that comes as a response to the grace that he's given us. That's what the story is about. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would, when we fear judgment, we pray that we would, when we know that we haven't done everything right, we pray that we would look to you and to your grace, not with the fear that comes from thinking that we have to earn your favor, but with the confidence of knowing that we are your children who have been saved by your grace. Lord, all this we ask in the name of your Son, the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.